this is letting it all hang out the show where we bring together some badass people that make me want to get out live life to the fullest and hopefully inspire you to do the same today i'm joined by william ronham william is a retired navy seal with 26 years of active service he served time as a seal sniper instructor and has been deployed around the world in both peacetime and combat operations he has 10 total deployments and has received numerous military awards for his time in service. Since his retirement, he started a consulting company as well as a CBD company, Naked Warrior Recovery, where his mission is to help veterans and first responders recover from traumatic events, both physical and physiological. As you may know, this episode is also sponsored by Naked Warrior Recovery. So I'm super excited to speak with Will um, because a big reason why I'm a huge supporter of Naked Warrior is that they know that the only way to perform at our highest potential is to allow our bodies and minds the opportunity to recover. So get yourself 20% discount on some high quality CBD products, super greens, and more. Use the discount code Kalani20. That's K-A-L-A-N-I-20 on their website at nw-recovery.com. This conversation with Will is such a great one. So let's get into the episode. Yes. Hello, William. How are you? Doing well. It's uh, been a busy morning so far. Yeah. Anything different? 9 a.m. and I've had had four calls. I've had, uh, this is my second Zoom call today. Yeah. Sounds like a busy morning. What time is it? You're in Hawaii, right? In Hawaii. It's 9 a.m. Yeah. Have you always lived in Hawaii or was that a recent transition? Like, uh, Let's see. I moved here about seven and a half years ago. Okay. So there's, there's, a, there's a very large military presence here on the island. And uh, there's a small SEAL team here. And so I came out to uh, be a part of that SEAL team. And then uh, when I retired in 2018, I didn't have like uh, any place back on the mainland that was like, oh, you need to go back home to wherever. I didn't think I was going to go back and live in Mississippi. So um, we owned a house here in Hawaii. We had a, bought a duplex. Someone was paying two thirds of my mortgage. So, you know, it was, you know, my, my, my rent, if you will, was only like 1500 bucks a month or something like that along those lines, 18, I don't know, something, something like that. So uh, I couldn't really like go back to California or Virginia or wherever and only have a $1,500 a month mortgage payment or rent or something. Yeah, so. not in those places. That's nice though. That's really cool. I want to ask you more about that, but we'll save that for a sec. So thanks again for jumping on the podcast. Um, so last time that we chatted, which was less than a week ago, um, it was really nice to hear a little bit about your background story of being in the Navy SEALs and then transitioning into civilian life. But for everybody who's listening now, I would love for you to share more of that backstory and um, give a little bit more detail on how you wound up in the position you are today. So I uh, joined the Navy really before I graduated high school. So the summer between 11th and 12th grade, um, a, a recruiter, actually let me even back up even a little more than that. Uh, so I was a, a boy scout, I was an Eagle scout. I went to a national jamboree, which is like this, you know, it's a, it's a big camp out that's like two weeks long. And, you know, boy scouts from all over the world come to that. It's in Fort E.P. Hill, Virginia, or it used to be. Uh, and this was just a great big trip. 
that um, I got I got an opportunity to, to go on. And while I was, we were kind of getting ready for that trip, and there was a guy there was a guy in the troop that was uh, you know he wanted to be a, a fighter pilot, and he also wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And I was like, that's cool. I think I want to do the same thing. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to be in some sort of like elite military organization um, when I was growing up, but I didn't really know what you know a Navy SEAL was. Um, because there were no books or movies or anything like that. This was long before, you know, 9-11. Um, so one day uh, between the 11th and 12th grade, uh, the Navy recruiter called my house and said, hey, have you ever thought about being in the Navy? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a Navy SEAL and I want to be a, like an F-14 pilot. And he's like, okay, I've got just a thing for you. So I went down to the recruiter's office. He showed me a really cheesy Navy SEAL movie. I had seen Top Gun. So that was already, already knew that I wanted to fly F-14s, you know, be Tom Cruise. Um, and he showed me this really cheesy Navy SEAL recruiting video that had guys like fast roping out of helicopters into the ocean. And then they would, you know, scuba dove into a, a target and then they got up on land and then they blew up the target. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely what I want to do. So uh, I joined the delayed entry program bef between uh, the, uh, the summer between 11th and 12th grade. Uh, so basically, I graduated high school, and a month later, I went off to boot camp. While I was in boot camp, uh, I took the, the physical test to become a SEAL. I failed it. Uh, I went on to a technical school in the Navy to... Uh, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a SEAL and back then you had to have a regular Navy job before you could uh, become a SEAL. So I went to a school called Gunner's Mate uh, A School and it has really nothing to do with guns really at all. It's six months long and like the last week we covered like small arms. Uh, really what it's designed, what its purpose is to teach you electronics, pneumatics and hydraulics to work on the big guns or missile launchers on board Navy ships. I didn't really put two and two together. I just showed up and I did what I was supposed to do. And, um, and then I made a tactical error. I wanted to go to, to, to SEAL training right after that. But what I did is I uh, went to another technical school, a more advanced technical school to work on missile launchers for Tomahawk missiles. And I thought I would be able to go, I went, I went to that school for four more months to get in better shape to go to, to, go to BUDS. And I made a mistake in, thinking that I could go to BUDS right after that school because what happened is I had 24 months of obligated service that I had to uh, give back to the Navy. And so uh, I, you know, I went to and lived on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan for two years before I was allowed to go to BUDS. And even that story was very difficult uh, because I went to this school. I was very critical. I was a critical asset to the Navy. And so I, you know, finally took those SEAL uh, fitness tests uh, to get back in. I passed it. I submitted my package to the people who let you, you know, guide your career throughout the military. And they said, sorry, you're too critical. We're not going to let you go to be a Navy SEAL because you're too critical to the Navy. And I was like, what? <laughs> so the chief of naval operations actually came to my ship, very small ship in Yokosuka, Japan, about um, six weeks before I was supposed to, my orders ran out and I needed to figure out what I was gonna do. And he had like, uh, uh, you know, sort of CNO's call. He's like the most senior guy in the military, in the Navy. And I raised my hand, I was like, hey, I joined the Navy to be a SEAL, I think I deserve a chance to go. Um, and he said, 
but, but, but my detailer won't, says I'm too critical. And he's like, you do deserve a chance to go. You'll be in the first class after your time here on the ship is done. And so uh, pretty much the rest is history. I went to, I went to steel training. It's six months long. It took me a, a short 13 months to get through that uh, training. I had a lot of injuries along the way, but you know, pretty much they're just looking for uh, to make sure that you're, you don't quit. You want to be there. And they'll tell you that you're, you're, we're kicking you out. And when they told me they were kick, I was, they were kicking me out. I was like, you know, I like stood in their offices just crying and, you know, please don't let me go. Please don't make me go. And so they let me stay. And eventually I graduated. Uh, I went to my first SEAL team was on the East coast from there. I went and taught sniper school, uh, which is when nine 11 happened. Um, and then from there I went to do some other work, another SEAL team, uh, many deployments, I think, uh, seven combat deployments between Iraq and Afghanistan. I've been to uh, Iraq four times and Afghanistan three times. Um, then I moved out to the headquarters in California. And then eventually I heard this team in Hawaii was doing some really cool stuff that you can't talk about and no one really knows what they're doing. So I was like, I want to go do that. Um, so I came out here and did that job and then retired in 2018 after 26 years of service. Wow. What a crazy journey. You said so many things in there that I'm excited to touch on. Um, <laughs> one of which being that, I mean, first of all, from the very little that I know about Navy SEALs and the training that goes into that, it's hard shit. Like it, it is, a lot it is, of people but... apply and then very few actually make it to a SEAL team. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, the attrition rate is about 70, 75%, uh, depending on the class. And I will tell you just, uh, I kind of keep track a little bit, not very much of, of current classes and things that are significant and the current, uh, everyone talks about hell week and hell week. I think when I went through was week five and then now it's maybe week four, uh, not that relevant, but, uh, it was very cold in California a few weeks ago, very cold. And I think the class probably started with 150 people. They graduated hell week with 14 people or less. Whoa. So, you know, throughout hell week, you carry these rubber boats on your head and a boat crew is seven people. And so you have three on the side on each side and then one in the back, sort of the guy who, when you the boat is in the water, he's the coxswain. He's the guy sort of making the calls and like steering the boat. And, uh, and it's just about building teamwork and working together and all this other stuff. And I saw pictures on social media that only had two boats left in hell week. So 150 people down to 14, that's, that's a 90% plus attrition rate. Um, now there are people that will roll into that class later, but it will be a very small, uh, class who, you know, people who have gotten hurt before, but yeah, yeah. Steel training is hard but it's not impossible, clearly. Um, it's, I thought it was fun, even when it was miserable, it was still fun. I mean, I was like, this is what I'm made for. I love this, this is amazing, it sucks. It's awesome, it sucks. <laughs> um, but what they don't tell you is the real work and the real challenges happen when you get to the SEAL team. That's where the rubber meets the road and that's where you're like, now it's real. <laughs> yeah. And you know, no matter how hard it was in Buds, I always knew that at the end of the day, in like, you know, it doesn't matter how cold or miserable it is right now. Uh, in a few hours, I'm going to be in a warm shower, in a warm bed, you know, in the real world, you know, you don't know when 
that discomfort, that, um, that pain, that, you know, uh, uh, the scary stuff is going to stop. You know, it can go on for hours or days or weeks and you're still just in it. So, you know, the SEAL training is, it's hard for a reason to see if you have the fortitude to continue on to do this job. Um, but it doesn't really get hard until after. And no one ever told me that. <laughs> I had to figure that out on my own. Yeah, wow. It seems like most of the battle in training and probably in, you know, when you're putting it all into action is mental. Like you said, it's, it's you know, when you were training, you had that idea of no matter how bad it sucks right now, I know that in the future I'll be in a warm bed, a hot shower, like I'll, I'll be okay. Um, and that, that gets skewed when you're in real life and putting all this stuff to practice. How did you mentally sort of stay in the moment and keep that calm and cool? Because I, from, I mean, it seems like, I mean, do they do a lot of that sort of mental training? Because I feel like a lot of the time we hear about the physicality of it. Yes, it's extremely hard. You have to be in great shape. You have to be able to do all that stuff. But personally, I would think that's easier than the mental aspect of it. Is that true for you? So uh, I, some, a little bit. Uh, so they don't really teach you like mental training. It's really what do you have? And it's, a, it's really a selection process. And I saw these amazing, amazing physical athletes, you know, these guys that are, you know, running, they don't even like break a sweat or it didn't even seem like they were breathing hard. I'm like struggling over here. Uh, you know, it, you know, they spent a little bit too much time in the cold water and they're like, ah, this is not for me. I'm like, what? You're like this amazing athlete and you're quitting. What, what, what's going on? Like quitting was never an option for me. Quitting was, um, I'm like, you're going to like, you know, I told you I was injured a few times and they're like, you got to go. And I'm like, no, no, please. I'm crying. I don't want to leave. Um, there was, I wasn't going to leave through the front door without graduating, uh, at least upright anyway. They weren't, I mean, they could kick me out. That's one thing, but I was not going to, uh, quit to, you know, I'm, I'm leaving through the front door with a diploma in my hand, not uh, for, for any reason other than that, or an injury, a diploma or injury. Those are the only two things. And then, and then it was so hard to get there. And then uh, it's, you know, I'm coming back if I have to leave. So it took a lot of work to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It took a lot of work to get there. You went through, I mean, the first time you didn't pass and then you were like, well, it's not an option for me to just give up. And, um, from the, little that I have known about you so far and from what I've seen what you post about you talk a lot about that resilience and never giving up and I think so often we in our everyday individual lives we give up or quit on really small things maybe it's like habits that we're trying to get into that are healthier um, like eating better or whatever it may be and we sort of quit and quit and quit and quit and quit. And it doesn't feel like a big deal in the meantime. Um, usually we, we give ourselves a little bit of grace and we're like, ah, oh, we'll do it later. But what's that right. compounding effect of right. quitting, quitting is a habit. over and over yeah. again? Yeah. yeah, quitting is a habit. And uh, I think Michael Jordan actually like, is quoted in saying that. So if you, you make a habit of quitting, then that's going to be your habit. So, you know, 
either set yourself up for success, do things that you're not going to quit on. Failure is fine. Failure, you accept failure, but quitting is not okay. So don't quit. And now that doesn't mean like don't quit smoking. You know, quit smoking. That's like, uh, you know, that's a bad habit. That's, you know, whatever. But uh, it's, you know, if you want to do something, like I want to I want to have a better lifestyle. I want to have make more money. I want to do whatever it is. Um, you you look for small victories and you keep trying to achieve those small victories. And that's something they taught us really in, in uh, POW school. So, you know, I went to survival school where they turned us into, into prisoners of war and you're in a POW camp and they interrogate you and, you know, they take away all your whatever and you're super isolated in a little wooden box. And then maybe you tap on the wall and there's someone next door and then you kind of figure out a code. And so you just have these small victories. Like the, you know, the, um, the instructors are trying to break you down physically. You don't eat, you don't sleep uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. And, you know, anytime you can fight back and beat them at whatever they say, don't, don't look over to your left. And so you're like, <laughs> you won. You, that's, that, that's a win. Um, and that's what they want you to do. But you have to figure that out along the way. And, you know, finding those, it's, it's failure is not quitting. Failure is just a lesson and success is built on, on failure. So a foundation of failure will help you uh, succeed in whatever it is that you're doing, as long as you don't quit, as long as you don't build this habit of quitting. Ah, uh, it's too much work to get up early. It's too, like, I'm hungry, so I'm gonna eat. You're not actually hungry. That's just a hormone called ghrelin that's like making you feel hungry. You're not actually hungry. Your body doesn't actually need whatever a Snickers and a Mountain Dew. Although it's really good, tastes really good. Yeah, that, that's actually a interesting point too, because we have these internal sensations where we want something really bad, but mentally we know it's not the best for us. And do you have any um, perspective on that? Because I'm sure that it's happened in your life, probably while you're in service and, and once out of service as well as things that don't necessarily serve us, but we have that urge to go do or go get or, you know, consume um, and separating that, like essentially self-discipline and willpower. What's your perspective right. on those? So I will say that we're going to turn a little bit here. So, um, so when I was in the military, I accrued a lot of baggage. We'll call it baggage. We won't call it anything else, um, mental, physical, whatever baggage. And so the way that I would, kind of turn off that noise in my head is I would use alcohol. Like that was my medicine, if you will. And so it pretty much every night I would drink cups of vodka or rum or whatever. And uh, just to like turn off this noise up here and um, yeah, to turn this noise off so that I could go to sleep because I can't sleep. So my health was not awesome my mental state was not awesome and but it was really it was you know i started taking cbd as a as a modality after i got out to help quiet some of this uh but it still took a lot of work it still took a lot of self-discipline to like because even still at night i'm like oh could maybe i could use a drink no no you don't need it just go to bed <laughs> so you know it's you know building the self-habits 
those those disciplinary habits of you know first of all let's prepare for tomorrow let's use that energy or that mental space that you currently have to prepare what what are you going to do in the morning um what needs to be done make that list so that when i and then read something instead of drinking and consuming you know content online uh it helps quiet my brain to come back down so that those are just some sort of uh tricks that i have found to use to stop doing these habits, these bad habits, um, and try to have a little bit better discipline. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. And, and you touch on something which is a perfect segue into what I'm excited to get into, which is your, your journey and sort of steps into the world of CBD, which from our previous conversation, um, you were just exploring with personally, and then it sort of trickled into what you do now, which is providing right. CBD products for, for various amounts of people, but um, especially bringing awareness to veterans and things of that sort. So tell me how that led into the world of CBD. So um, I heard about CBD before it was cool. Like now there's like CBD everywhere. There's I've seen CBD toothpicks for crying out loud. Um, but I heard about CBD, I think I want to guess around 2015. I was listening to a podcast on the way to work and the guy was talking about, you know, medical marijuana and the benefits of THC for pain, et cetera. Basically, there's this other molecule that not a lot of people know about. It's called CBD and it's been used to treat epilepsy. It's used for um, uh, chronic inflammation. It's used for pain. It's used for sleep. It's used for all these things. I'm like, well, that sounds really cool. Uh, I probably need all of that. Um, but, you know, still being in the military, uh, not going to use a marijuana based drug cannabis. Um, it's not good for my, my career. So, um, I didn't try it until I, so I retired in 2018. I still didn't try it again until 2019 when a friend of mine, I was dealing with some stuff and a friend of mine had went to Virginia, had lunch with him. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to look for some CBD here in, in Virginia, because I think maybe you have something better than what we have in Hawaii. I don't know. And he's like, Oh, you have CBD. I've got some at the house. So we went back to his house. He gave me some and I took it that night. And I think I slept a little bit better, but I was certainly a little less pissed off the next morning. And what I like to tell people is, you know, water boils at 212 degrees. I was living in like 210 degrees and without, without really good self-talk. And it was really easy to like push me over the edge. Just like, you know, be very upset about really nothing. Um, and then as I, you know, looked, looked back after, you know, just taking CBD every day, I felt, you know, I went from like, you know, 210 to 208 to 200 to 195. And I eventually got into like out of this red zone into like an orange or yellow zone. And, um, and something else that happened is the stabbing pains that I have generally, they were still pains and I would do movements that I'm generally like grimacing. Oh, this is going to hurt and they weren't stabbing me. It was just more of a dull pain. So, uh, and then, you know, I ran out of that bottle of CBD and then things started coming back and I just was like, well, let's try it again. So I went and bought some CBD this time and, you know, I got back out of that red zone, orange, yellow, over time. It was weeks, weeks at a time. Um, and it's not something that I noticed right away. Some people notice things right away. I do not, I'm not, I guess that in tune to my body. I don't know. Um, but it, it was something that I noticed. And then I found it, it, I found that it helped me. So then I was at a business conference. I met someone in the industry and they were totally like 
they just assumed that I wanted to start my own CBD company. And I had no interest in starting my own CBD company. I didn't even, I just wanted to learn more about the, you know, about the industry. And she was like, yeah, you, this and that. And then uh, she had like enough faith in me that I knew what I was doing or I was ambitious enough to start my own company. Um, I was like, well, if this total stranger thinks that I can do it, I guess I should maybe try to figure it out. So I just started Googling how to start a CBD company. And, and uh, so eventually I launched Naked Warrior Recovery, uh, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a broad spectrum CBD product. And I, you know, really uh, started it to help veterans and first responders uh, help recover from stress, anxiety, mental physical uh, trauma that, you know, you receive from being a, a job of service. So I'm trying to give back to, you know, the people who have served or who are serving. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I, I love the way that you speak about CBD too, because as you mentioned, you know, when you first got into it, it wasn't as popular as it is right now. Like right now it's like trendy is probably the best right. word for it yeah. and so often i think when i look at you know maybe it's commercials or companies or whatever the sorts of cbd you always hear that it's like this magical thing that's going to cure right. everything and make it all go away but the way that you explain it which i really appreciate and brings a lot of light to the situation is more so like as far as pain management goes, you know, it's, it's still there, but it's not as sharp you know, in your experience I'm gonna right. for each person. Um, and as far as I love the way that you explain sort of, you know, water boils at 212 degrees. And so it helped you get out of that red zone and into the more of orange, yellow and, and low on. So from your experience, when you started getting into the world of CBD and, figuring out like how to make it work for other people. Um, I think during our last conversation, you mentioned that it was important to you that you actually took the THC element out of it because it could be I, detrimental. Isn't the right word that I'm trying to think of, but it could um, deter people who are either right. still in service or just don't necessarily want that, THC portion of it. So can you explain a little bit more about that and why you chose to go that route? Sure. So there's three main categories of CBD. Uh, you have a, a full spectrum oil, which you basically take the hemp plant and you extract all the oil out of it. And it's full of all these terpenes and cannabinoids and flavonoids. And there's all, you know, and THC is in that. So to make the difference between marijuana and hemp, at the end of the day, it's the same plant, but they're bred to have high levels of THC or very low levels of THC. Uh, I don't think you can have a hemp plant that is THC free, but um, you know the definition of hemp is that it has 0.3% uh, or less uh, THC in the dried weight. So you don't have a green, you know, freshly plucked uh, hemp plant uh, that you're extracting. It's actually dried and then and then you extract the, the oil from the from the, the leaves and flowers. But um, so there is some residual THC still in the oil. And and, and so a, a full spectrum product keeps all of the, the, the terpenes and and minor cannabinoids in uh, in the oil. And then they do some processing and then, you know, add it to an MCT or an olive oil to help uh, with sort of bioavailability. And then and then they sell that. Um, we, because there are so many 
jobs out there that uh, require drug screening. Um, we remove, and there's, you know, I'm a child of Nancy Reagan's just say no war on drugs. I've never tried THC. Um, but there are, you know, there's this sect of people like me who either uh, receive drug testing or they just don't, they're afraid of the THC piece of it. So, um, so we remove the THC, but keep the other minor cannabinoids and terpenes that, that help create this entourage effect in the body. So synergistic effect uh, where that all these my, like 120-ish molecules interact uh, with, with the endocannabinoid system, which is a giant neuroreceptor in the body that's connected to every other system in the body. It's connected to your respiratory system, your central nervous system, your digestive system, your immune system. It's connected to everything. And so that's why the CBD seems to be this panacea, magical cure everything. It actually isn't. What it does is it uh, brings your endocannabinoid system back into homeostasis uh, because it's like a multivitamin really for your endocannabinoid system, this giant neuroreceptor, brings that back into homeostasis, which helps bring all the other systems that it's attached to back into homeostasis and your body really heals itself. So CBD isn't like curing anything. It's just a supplement that helps your body work very efficiently, much more efficiently. Uh, and then, so what I sell is a, a broad spectrum product, which we remove, like I said, the, the, the THC and keep the other minor cannabinoids and, and terpenes. And then the last product, which I believe is the lowest quality product, is a CBD isolate where they isolate the CBD molecule and, you know, put that in a bottle and, you know, sell that. I mean, a lot of times you'll see that on Amazon. If you search CBD or hemp oil, you'll see like 5,000, 12,000 milligrams of hemp oil. And really that's just like shoving a bunch of CBD isolate into a, uh, which is really just this white powder into uh, an olive oil or an MCT oil and selling it as, you know, more is more is better. And it's just, you know, yeah, it's, I, in my opinion, it's the worst quality and the cheapest form of, of CBD out there in the market. Is that, it seems like that might be pretty popular. Um, it just, it, in my brain, my brain goes to, oh, if you can make more money doing it, people will yeah. hop on that and try and, and try and sell that. So, yes. Case. So the CBD industry is it's starting to clean up, but it, when I first started looking into it, it, I realized very quickly it's a very dirty industry. Um, so the hemp plant is a is is a bioaccumulator. So basically, it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil, but it also pulls all the trash out of the soil as well. Um, it's such a powerful bioaccumulator. They're using hemp at Chernobyl to clean the radiation out of the soil, so they can maybe go back there and repopulate the area one day. Um, so, so it's important to know where your CBD is coming from, where your hemp is coming from. And uh, because, you know, just because this farm is using organic practices, um, the, the tobacco farm across the street could be spraying, you know, pesticides or whatever all over their, all over their tobacco plants. And then you, that just goes into the soil. It gets leached up by the hemp stalks over here and then into, you know, that's into the oil. So um, the FDA has actually gone out and done a lot of, spot checks on CBD companies and they found that more than 90% uh, either have high levels of, you know, illegal levels of THC in their oil. 0.3% um, is the, the max legal amount, uh, high levels of THC or no uh, CBD at all in the oil, high levels of heavy metals, mercuries, arsenic, 
pesticides, herbicides, all this trash in the oil that's not, uh, that you actually don't want to be putting in your body. So if you're taking something that is a, uh, is a medicine, um, you don't want to be putting a bunch of poisons in your body along with it. So if you, you know, you go out and you, and you look at CBD, uh, products, you should, um, all CBD products, so they should have like a QR code on them and you can scan this QR code and it will take, it should be able to take you to a lab result, a lab report from a third party, uninterested third party lab that basically, um, tells you what the, you know, what is in your product. So if a product says that it's got, you know, 1500 milligrams of CBD in it, it should have at least 1500 milligrams of CBD in it. So. That's wild that, that it was over 90% of the ones that they tested or surveyed. Is it, I mean, is it just because the people who are, you know, supplying that CBD or, or managing those farms and those companies, they're just not. Well, I mean, you know, you could grow, you can, now you can grow hemp legally. You can grow it in your basement. You can grow it in your backyard. You can grow it wherever. Um, but, you know, there were like the extraction, like it was like a mad rush to like make money fast. And so people are just like, or maybe they buy some illegal something from somebody on the street corner and they use uh, uh, um, acetone or whatever as a, as a product to separate the CBD out of the oil. And so that's, that's fine to use a, a, you know, a a product like that, as long as you take the uh, precautions to, or the extra steps to uh, remove it through evaporation before you actually bottle the, the, the CBD that's contaminated now, uh, you know, and then try and sell it. So, you know, you're going to get like, you know, paint thinner and things like people were like making CBD in their garage or in their basement and then selling it to the local, uh, you know, the, the local gas station or whatever. Holy shit. <laughs> which is, which is like, one of my favorite questions that uh, people have asked me is what's the difference between your CBD product and the CBD that I get at a gas station. And my favorite answer is what's the difference between the sushi that you buy at a gas station and the sushi that you buy at like a you know, sushi house. It might be okay. You might not get sick, but. Is that the risk you want to take? <laughs> do you really, do you really want gas station sushi? <laughs> Yeah. And actually in Hawaii, that's, does, that analogy doesn't work because there's, they do sell pretty good right, sushi. Probably in the, like great in the, sushi everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's too funny. Well, I mean, there's, for me, I've tried CBD. Um, I don't think it was very high quality CBD. And so that tainted my experience for a little while. Um, but I, I do, I'm a big believer in it and I absolutely love it. And it's taken some trial and error. And for other people who maybe have tried it once or haven't tried it at all, what's your maybe advice or explanation to say, hey, this is how I would personally recommend dipping your toes into the water or the world of CBD, so to speak, and That's trying a, it out? Great, a, a great question um, because, and I get this question a lot as well, and I hate answering it, but you know, people ask, you know, how much CBD should I take? Or whatever and I'm like that depends it's the worst answer ever uh, really it's a lot of trial and error um, some people can take a 10 milligram gummy and be amazing they you know get amazing sleep their stress comes down uh, other people like me I can you do a 10 milligram gummy some days other days I you know I may use 250 milligrams of CBD which is kind of a lot um, but 
you know, that just, I have, I've done enough CBD uh, to kind of figure out what I need for generally sleep or recovery from pain or like, I'm super stressed out because of, you know, I have, I have these things that are still in my life that trigger me. And um, as much as I try to combat that, and I've gotten a lot better, um, but, you know, I, I know what I need to take if one of those triggers kicks off. And for me, it's, you know, generally the tincture, hold it under my tongue for, you know, a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And then a few minutes later, I can kind of feel the, the, the anger just be a little bit less. Like it's still there. I'm still mad, but it's just less. And some of that is, um, you know, CBD works differently for different people. And I say go in with a low expectation and just kind of measure how you feel, you know, and then take it every day. Don't not take it. Take it every day because some people will take it like once or twice. And they're like, I don't, I don't really feel anything. Okay. I, you generally, most people don't, some people do. Um, but just like, like take a, like an actual measurement of how you feel, your mental state, your quality of life. And then let me know in 30 days, take it every day. And then go from there. You know, if you aren't getting what you need or what you think you need um, relief wise, you know, the, the rule of thumb is to start low and, you know, you know, take a, a small amount, you know, the first day. And, you know, if you don't really get a real feeling of benefits, like increase your dosage like three days later and then increase your dosage again and incrementally work up. I'm, that's what, most people say you should do. I do usually just go kind of a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think if you are are pretty aware of your body and maybe you've tried it before, you use your own judgment. But I, I like that rule of thumb of start small, do it every day for at least probably at least right. what, like two. I weeks. mean, if you can get like if you can get benefits using a small amount, that's awesome. I mean, CBD is not a cheap product to buy, so if you can. If you can optimize your dosage at a smaller uh, uh, um, smaller amount per serving, and it's serving you and, and helping you recover from whatever it is that you have, um, then awesome. Then stick with that. You don't need more. More is not always better. Um, so for me, it was just I had to figure out like what what's my dosage, and it depends on the day, really. Mm. Yeah, that's a good thing to know too, that it can depend on the day. And as you experiment with it more often, you'll really, re- you'll, you'll be more in tune with how your body feels and, and when you need more or when you can use, you know, your minimum amount, so to speak. Um, that's great advice. I really appreciate everything that you've shared and the advice that you've given for people. And I always ask one last question. It's the same question for everybody on the podcast, which is for somebody listening what is one thing you would say to them? It doesn't necessarily have to be about anything specific that we talked about, but anything that you'd like to share with them. So um, part of the, the, the naked warrior is about getting naked. And, you know, really what that is, is we all walk around with ego. We all walk around with this armor that we have on because we go into combat in our daily life of, of um, you know, we're getting attacked from media or from political views or from uh, a toxic relationship, uh, someone at work or uh, someone cut me off. Like 
now you're like in this like fight or flight mode. And it's, you know, the more we get into that, uh, into that mindset, the more we have a hard time getting out of it. And we're never able to like take our armor off and, and get naked and expose ourselves to healing. And so, you know, really at the end of the day, the naked warrior is about getting naked. It's about taking that ego, setting it aside, put it in the corner and, um, yeah. And let yourself heal and let, you know, take, take all the, the, the crap that you have in your mind and try to set it aside and, and just think about, you know, um, the, you know, the good stuff and, and getting naked is, is a lot of work. You know, I, I, I sort of coined it as, you know, naked is never quit, accept failure, kill mediocrity in your life, expose your fears because fear um, is one of those things where if you're afraid of something, afraid of how someone's going to react to you or whatever, you know, put that out there in the world. Like I don't like be, talk about it. Even just say it to yourself out loud. Um, expose that fear because once it's out there and it's exposed, no one can use it against you. And then the last thing is do the work because, you know, we can talk about it all day long. We can talk about, you know, uh, changing your mindset, uh, taking off your armor, your ego, it's work like mental health, you know, all of that stuff, like not quitting. That's work. Uh, accepting failure. That's work. Um, so, so at the end of the day, you know, get naked. It's, it's really a simple idea because we started in this world naked. <laughs> and, uh, so, but it's, it's more, it's more complex. It's more, a little more to it, but really at the end of the day, just get naked. And, uh, that's, that's how I, I try to live my life and I want to put out in the world. It's a mindset. That's beautiful. I love that. And I love that you say it's a mindset. It's also sort of a lifestyle too, because you're putting that mental energy into that physical energy by actually doing it, like you said. So that's awesome. An awesome way to wrap it up too. Thank you again, William. I really appreciate it. Um, It's I could probably ask you so many stories about how you have like (laughs) as a seal and all that. I mean, I know you got to keep it secret, but in my mind, I'm like, I want to know all the top secret stuff you got going on. But I'm obviously not going to show those things. So it's not, you know what? It's not that sexy. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure after you, if you would ever to explain it, it would be, uh, like you said, not that sexy, a little crazy. You know, all this, all the super, super secret stuff. When I, when I'm like read into the programs, I'm like, really? That was it? That's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> That's not very much fun. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that secret so the anticipation is probably more exciting than the actual secret itself yeah (laughs) awesome 100 percent. well i appreciate it and one last thing before we go is where can people find you where can they get familiar with your products and everything that you're doing um i think the social media platform i use the most is instagram and on there i'm naked warrior recovery all one word uh and then my website you can type in naked warrior recovery or you can type in if you don't want to type naked into your search engine, you can write NW for naked warrior dash recovery.com. Beautiful. Thank you. I like how you had to throw that in there. You're like, just in case you don't want to type naked. In That's too funny. Uh, definitely go check out William. Definitely go check out naked warrior recovery um, or you know NW recovery and get familiar because I think it could definitely help you guys out if that's something that you're interested in. So adios to everybody and we, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and chat again soon, William. Awesome.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Letting It All Hang Out. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. I definitely know that I did. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and start a conversation with you. So feel free to send me a voice message right here on Anchor. Or you can message me on any of my social media platforms at Haley Kalani. Much love to you all. Until next time, stay well.